So. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, wait. This is not uncomfortable, but it's very weird. This is the thing? This is the one. Absolutely. And now it almost couldn't have happened in a better way. Where did you want to be? So it was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> am I funny? Now if I go over here, am I still funny? Better strategy. Yeah, way better strategy. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's a workout. I don't see it five years from now that you're not my most famous friend. You really have to commit to something. Good to have something pushing you. That's cool. That was really cool. Yeah, it might be cool. This is On the Cusp. Hello, I'm Ben Green, and welcome to the first episode of On the Cusp. Today, our guest is Ryan Rosenberg, an amazing improviser on the UCB Herald team Belmonte, a fantastic writer, director, and performer on the sketch team Big Grande, and a guy who's been a really good friend of mine for a long time. This week's episode is sponsored by Thai Pepper at 6219 Franklin Avenue, now offering their dinner special for $7.95. If you're tired of salt... It might be the day for Thai Pepper. So, what is On the Cusp? And why am I making this podcast? Well, for a long time, I've been a huge fan of the podcast WTF with Mark Marin, a show where Mark Marin interviews comedians and musicians, and we get to learn about what their life has been like. Um, this show is sort of an unabashed ripoff of Mark Marin's show, uh, except for that I'm going to be interviewing people that are uh, in my comedy community. Um, people who may not be bonkers famous yet, but who I have a feeling will probably be really big someday. I think this show is going to be fun to listen to now, but it might be a show that's even cooler to listen to five years from now when these people are potentially even more successful. Um, the fun thing is that when you listen to a show like WTF, you hear people talking about what it was like when they were stressed out and feeling like it, things may not happen for them. Um, this show gives us a chance to listen to people who are currently in that stage of their career, constantly worrying that things may never work out. That's the state that I'm in right now. I've seen a little bit of success as an actor, but not a crazy amount. I've seen hardly uh, any success as a writer uh, outside of getting to be on a UCB sketch team. Um, there are days that I think about leaving this career because it seems like being in it might be a bad idea. But I'm also filled with hope and feel like things probably will work out for me in the end, and I have even more confidence for my friends. Um, and so that's what this show is all about. It's talking to those friends and getting to learn more about what their life has been and what their hopes and dreams and fears are. So, without any further ado, here is my first guest, a guy who I really, really like, Ryan Rosenberg. I like what you're uh, 
Do you want to describe what your apartment looks like right now? Sure. Uh, I think it's a really it's a really cool apartment. Oh, thanks. I like our apartment. Jake and I have lived here almost five years. It'll be like five years in August, which is the longest I've lived anywhere outside of like my childhood home. Yeah, which is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. And even then, like, I had two childhood homes because my parents are divorced. Uh-huh. So I would like switch off week on, week off or whatever. So I've never lived anywhere like... Like, I've lived here continuously more than any of, even my childhood homes. You know what I mean? Like, because I switched around. It's very much a bachelor pad looking place. Yes, I think so too. Which, that's what I don't love about it. I wish I looked a little older by decoration or whatever. Like, when you're, when you're married someday, if you're married someday, you probably won't have hamburger paintings and french fry paintings on the walls. Right. Well, Maybe. Who knows? Oh, you, yeah. Who knows? Maybe I have my one room. You know what I mean. You're ready to put a fight in for that. My, my man cave. Ugh. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, my friend painted those. They're really. I like them. I like them too. Everyone um, always says that they make them hungry. They I can see that. Go like I always want a burger and fries after I leave your house. I'm like, well, maybe that's me rubbing off on you. Maybe it's the paintings. I don't know. <laughs> um, do you remember uh, the first time we met very well, or not really? Um, no, I remember like early in our friendship, but I don't know. I don't. You just remember me suddenly being. Oh yeah, I've always known Ben Green. Been, yeah, <laughs> since being in LA. Well, how did we meet? Uh, I feel like I remember our first conversation being in like Birds with uh-huh. Mary Sasson. Uh huh. Um, that makes sense. And like kind of figuring out who you were right around then. Oh, okay. Um. But, it, like, at a time where it was hard to figure out, like, how long anybody had been here. Um, and you were out here before Mary, though. Yeah, I was out as of, like, September 2009. Mm-hmm. Right. And you were out as of 2008 or when? Something like that. I took my first UCB class in November 2008. So, like, just before 2009, obviously. And that was sort of when I, like, I lived in Santa Monica for a year. So I, that's when I started that. And then I, once I started going through the programs... I moved over here because I was like, well, this is what I'm doing. Like, now this is where I want to live is, like, by the theater and by all the people that go to the theater and, like, get closer to comedy. Like, I feel like if I would have stayed in Santa Monica, I don't have to drive to, like, make it happen on my own. I like, <laughs> yeah. had to, like, jump in, you know, whatever. I feel like 2008 is a weird year where, like, some people who are now, like, who some who like current people think have been at the theater for absolutely forever. Right. At UCBLA. Yeah. Like got there in two thousand eight. Right. Like I think Ryan Meharry. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. It we was all like started right around time. that time. Who was your class? Uh, uh, or your first classes? Well, I uh, in that first class, that's where I met Jake. That's where I met my roommate. Cool. And so like we met in one hundred one and did one hundred one through four hundred one at UCB all together. And then uh, also in that first class. There's a couple other fun people, but nobody that, like, went to all the shows and stuff. It was mostly Jake and I, and we were like, nobody else is really, like, <laughs> doing the thing. They're just going to class, and then that's it. Like, we want to go see shows. We're taking classes because we like the shows, not the other way around. Right. You know? So it was and like, And not because oh, cool. your actor, your agent yeah, uh, no, told you to. No, I still don't have one of those, <laughs> so that definitely wasn't the case. Uh, but then I, the thing that really, like, hooked me in was I took boot camp that uh-huh. first I took the first month of boot camp when they started that it. That ever happened. Ever happened. Yeah, because luckily I just met Susie in a practice group. Like it was – do you remember Richie Beenan? Uh, the name's kind of familiar. He now lives like 
I want to say like he moved to Wisconsin or to New York or somewhere east of here, obviously. Uh, and I I was on a team with him. I think through my he like dropped into my two hundred one, and then invited me to this random practice group because we had fun in class that day. And Susie was teaching this practice group, and it was with nobody I knew. Uh, but it was fun. And then she was like, Hey, I'm starting this thing. You should really do it. Like it's for people who are only like three one and above. So it's like going to be good people and whatever. I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. And that first boot camp was like me, Aaron Whitehead, Ryan Meharry, Marissa Strickland, Steve Slaga, Eileen, <laughs> she, uh, mono sky Soleil, that Richie guy, uh, like all of my friends, Matt Reed, uh, and then the next it's month, a cra- that's a crazy list of it's people it's crazy and then the next month they did two boot camps uh-huh. and then like Jacob Womack was in it Rendell Leatherman uh, a, a ton of funny people James Mastriani I did it with like so many funny people and, and doing it every day for a month was like oh we're like in this together now yeah and so that's when I was like oh cool I'm now I'm doing this, you know. Did you meet Jim Woods around that time too? He did. And- he it was him and Susie ran together, so okay. that's where we met. And then me, him, and Meharry like became best friends. Awesome. And like hung out every day after, uh, after boot camp, and like played Catan all the time, <laughs> and like went to their house and played murder till like four a.m. But like we didn't have jobs really. I worked at a restaurant, so I couldn't do it every night. But like, I would just like stay there till four a.m., drive back to Santa Monica, and then get to boot camp at noon the next day and then <sighs> do it all over again. Like, it was the best. It was so fun. Um, do you remember who your, like, comedy... The idols were that you had, like, within the community? Um, yeah, Jim Woods. Scott Rogers was, like, one of my first... I was, like, a huge fan of Scott Rogers at first. Wow. I don't really see him perform as much anymore. But I remember he did this one show where he, like, broke out into a Kanye West song... And, like, knew every word and, like, wasn't worried whether or not the audience was with him. He was just doing it for him. And everybody else on Flap Jackson jumped on board. And so it was just, like, this really cool, like, whoa, you can do that? Like, you can just do that? That's cool to me. Like, I was a big fan of him for a while. Uh, but, like, yeah, the biggest ones were for sure, like, Susie and Jim. Joe Hartzler was always, like, the funniest guy in the world to me. What about Jim? Funniest person I've ever seen. Without a doubt, the funniest improviser. Like, him and Ian Roberts are the two guys who it's like, you can work as hard as you want and do as much improv as you want. You'll never be those guys. Like, yeah. it's what they bring to the table outside of improv that makes them so great. Like, I assume everything that is their whole life that has made them <laughs> who they are, that, like, that's just the perfect thing to bring to improv, you know? But, like, Jim always had a good idea always would like support his teammates but was also just like the best at everything the best object work the best like commitment character like character commitment stuff just the funniest ideas like and also just like really nice like he met in boot camp and sort of like took me under his wing and it was like oh well you're my idol and now we're friends (laughs) great what a cool thing and then he really believed in you i remember like talking to him at a party and him just saying how funny he thought you were oh yeah and Thanks. That's great. Uh, I like still want Jim's approval. Like, like it's like a <laughs> from dad. Amsterdam. Yeah, from Amsterdam. He doesn't even live here anymore. Whatever. <laughs> and I'm still just like, oh, if Jim likes me, like I'm doing something right. You know. What <laughs> I mean? Like, he's so so funny. And same with Susie. Like Susie, they were sort of like the yin and yang of like that boot camp thing. Like, 
the stuff that Jim taught and the stuff that Susie taught were not necessarily opposite, but they were like complementary. Like Jim is like very logical and like if this then what and um you know, like look at all the possibilities of like this thing based on this logic or whatever. And then Susie was like, taught me everything I know about a group game. Like here's how to just have fun and like be free and be yourself and like bring the best you to the scene and all this stuff that is like really invaluable in another yeah. in this other way. You know? And both like, so positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved it. They were both like they never this sounds like silly, but they like never gave me a note like I couldn't handle. Like does that make sense? <laughs> like they gave me every note that I needed to hear, but like not too much at once and like yeah it was just great yeah that's the thing that I when I was being coached by Susie I always felt like she had that ability to tailor notes that when you heard them they were the best notes you'd ever gotten yeah. and they made complete sense versus some other coaches where you would get a note and it would just be very confusing right. and I would feel like I'd heard things that weren't that and right yeah it's, for, the, for me working with them it was always so cool because it Felt like for the first time, because I played sports growing up and mostly basketball and stuff, and it was, it just felt good to like have a coach again. Like, and I'd taken some improv and whatever, but uh, a lot of times it feels more like a teacher student relationship than a coach player relationship. Uh-huh. And I don't really care for that. Like, I don't really care what your book says. I want you to coach me as a person. Like, <laughs> we're both here. Coach, don't just sit in the back and read out of a book. Like, and quote yourself. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like, no, are you watching? Then fix the play. Like, take, <laughs> out, the, take out the board and, like, design, you know. It's like a very hands-on thing, and I really like that about them. They were both very, like, much more hands-on than they were, here are the rules, go for it, <laughs> you know? And sort of learning it with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's great. Helping you learn rather than just, like, do it right, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, I really liked it. Um, Who's your favorite, like, coach or whatever that you've had? Uh, I would always say Susie yeah. as one of them. And I thought Anthony King was great when we had him for... Me too. Uh, like, that advanced class. Yeah. Um, so, originally, you're from what area? You're from California all your life. Uh-huh. I was born in Long Beach, like, in, you know, 40 minutes south of here. But then I, I, when I was, like, five, grew up and moved to Northern California. Outside of Sacramento in, in like, a small white Mormon town. We're not Mormon, but <laughs> it's not a Mormon town, but it's, like, one of the biggest concentrations of Mormon outside of Utah. Like, they have, like, three huge Mormon churches in my town, and they're all, they all wow. see, like, you know, 8,000 people and have three services <laughs> every Sunday or whatever. So it's, like, whatever that makes. Did you ever 30, go to that 000. church? No, 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 no. Uh, I'm... Just with a friend. Yeah, I just didn't have any reason to. Like, the Mormons in our town were like, there. it was weird because there were, there was like a whole class of people that were just like, these are the Mormons and they hang out over here or whatever. And they ingratiate themselves within the with population or whatever. But then in high school, I remember them there being like bad Mormons and good Mormons. And the bad Mormons were just like normal kids who like drank soda and like maybe would smoke a cigarette or whatever. Like, no, like they weren't bad. They were just like... Not really Mormons, you know. Like, yeah. Didn't, didn't that on follow... the scale on the scale of Mormonism? Exactly. They were doing a horrible. Job. Exactly. Yes. 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 Uh, but pretty much normal kids or whatever. And then there were the ones that were like very Mormon, and they were sort of more clicky, and were like, we all have these values, so of course we hang out together. Like it wasn't that they didn't like other people; it was just like they didn't want to sort of get outside that like 
Maybe it's bad influences. I don't know. But they were just clicky. And do you have more bad Mormon friends than good Mormons? Uh, I guess I didn't really have like a ton of Mormon friends. Like, yeah, it was just it wasn't. This this was the highest population of people in the town. And you stood away. You tried to stay away from all of them. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, well, it wasn't. They weren't like the most people in the town. It was. It's the most Mormons outside. Oh, of whatever. God. So like. The whole town wasn't Mormon. It was it was just like this little blip of like, whoa, a lot of weird Mormons here. Like, not a lot of weird Mormons. A lot of Mormons here for a unknown reason. Yes. What I mean. uh, uh, but yeah, it was fun. I liked high school. <laughs> it was a good time. Um, why did... Wait, what, what area of Northern California is like, this? What is, outside Sacramento. It called? It's called Rockland is where okay. I lived. It's like between Sacramento and Lake Tahoe. And how did um, your parents choose that? Well, my parents were divorced. and my, they, they had already been divorced. Yeah, they got when divorced they when I was like two or something like okay, that. Okay, wow. And then uh, we both, or we all lived in Long Beach in a couple different places until I was five. And then my mom, this was like right around the time of like the early nine. it was like 1990, 89. And in Long Beach, there was like race riots and stuff. And like, if you ever saw that movie Freedom Riders uh, with- um, I know it. With, uh, oh, what's her name? From Million Dollar Baby. Yeah. She's great. Uh, anyway, so that, like, takes place in Long Beach, and it's all about, like, race riots, and uh, it was just, like, a lot of civil unrest or whatever, and my mom was, like, uh, I think, like, a second grader brought a gun to school that my <laughs> sister was going to, and she was like, well, we can't be here anymore, like, whatever. So my mom wanted to get out, and we moved to Rockland, and there was, like, nothing there. Like, it was a town of, like, 6,000 people or something like that, and it was just, like track homes and nothingness and so it seemed like very safe and whatever you know this is but perfect it, yeah yeah for my mom like uh yeah and then my dad moved up <clears throat> like within a year after to like you know be there for when we grow up and everything so my whole life they were divorced but they only lived like a mile away so it was just like not even which side of town like they both lived on the same side of town just you know a 15 minute walk from each other. So yeah. Do you, do you feel like you have a different relationship to divorce than like most people you talk to because it didn't happen, uh, like while you were all that conscious? Not, not really. Cause I don't know what like the process of divorce is like because uh -huh. it had already happened since I was only like two, you know, like, and I, I don't really remember them together. So yeah. it would be weirder for me to like, see that, to see like my parents, they get along fine now, like, now that we're adults and stuff, like, it's just easier to be friendly or whatever. Everything's, you know, shit still comes up every once in a while. But, uh, yeah, I don't really remember, like, it definitely, to me, is like, oh, divorce is a viable option because <laughs> it, my life has been great. So I don't think you're, like, shortchanging your kids by getting a divorce. I don't think that, like, I think it's the best decision. Like, rather than have a toxic household... Split it up and do it for the kids. You know what I mean? Like, get a divorce for your kids. <laughs> like, I don't. I wouldn't give that as advice, but I think it's like, if you think you need one, I think people should do that. Like, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't think it's that weird. Obviously, everyone's getting them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I do sometimes wonder that, though. Like, subconsciously, I never was in a household with, like, a working relationship. I wonder if I don't have an example for that or whatever, you know? And all of your examples are just from media. Yeah, or like friends or yeah. like, but I don't get to see that intimately. So it's like, who knows, you know? But I don't think that's a thing. I think I'm like a smart adult guy who Yeah. Can I think a, do a lot of people have married parents and don't get to see 
what a really good relationship yeah. looks like at home. Right. Yeah, I think so too. Um, well, what kind of kid would you say you were? I was like a, I was like a bad athlete. <laughs> uh, I really, but but an athlete. Yeah, I like really loved to play sports and everything. And like as a kid, I was really good. I was like one of the best ones on my team. And then so I, why bad? And then well, and then I like didn't grow for a long time and sort of got chubby. Uh, I was like, I didn't grow very much from like sixth grade until like my sophomore year of high school. So it was like a weird period when everyone was starting to grow that I was not. So you just lose ground really quick because everybody's bigger, faster, and stronger. And who cares if you can dribble a basketball if everybody can just run past you and whatever. Yeah. Uh, so that was hard. It was like, oh, the one thing I love is being taken from essentially. And just like, by. <laughs> yeah. And like there was some weird like like stress with that with like my dad because he wanted me to like be good and like see me succeed at the thing I love. So he was like, well, you got to lose weight. You got to get out there and like train and go for runs and whatever. And I was like. Yeah, but you know, I didn't do it. I didn't want to do that stuff because I was like, and also just be taller at that point. Yeah, and like it wasn't. It wasn't that I was so short that I couldn't compete. It was that I was chubby and like whatever. So and also you're tall now. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm like a tallish guy. I think I grew like this may not be true, but I grew like six inches between like the end of my junior year and like first semester of my senior year. What a cool time to... Yeah, kind of. It was like I was fat all through high school and then my senior year I like got tall and like slimmed down a little and I started going to the gym that year. Got a gym membership and like got not way in shape but like compared to what I thought my life was going to be forever. Yeah. It was like, whoa, cool. <laughs> uh, so I think I need to do that again. I think <laughs> I would love to maybe lose some weight now. And grow another like, six inches. Oh, another, yeah, grow another six inches. Have like another renaissance. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The tallest man in comedy. <laughs> but I was like a pretty, I was a happy kid. I was like, uh, I played sports and I liked that. And I was always, I always had friends and um, I was in student government and, you know, like everybody was that does what we do. It's do you have like, a moment that you remember as like your sport highlight? Your like the the best. Yeah. Uh, there's some definitely some like fun game things that I remember. But I went to a basketball camp when I was in uh, eighth grade, I think. And they do this thing at the end of the at the end of camp. Uh, it's like a week long spend the night thing, and it's like it's at this place like up in the hills and like. Auburn, which is, or, or wherever it is, um, in the foothills, like on the way to Tahoe. And they have these little cabins and they they run a basketball camp out of it. And it's the Sly Park basketball camp, best camp. If you live near it, you got to go to it. But, uh, so at the end, on like Sunday, when all the parents come to pick everyone up, it's like an all day sort of display of the kids. So like, we have like championship games that we've been working, like a, they, in the beginning, they like assess everybody and make teams. Then those teams practice, and then there's, like, a tournament that goes all week. And then Sunday's, like, the big day where, like, the champions get their trophy and blah, 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 blah. So it's, like, a big deal because all the parents are there and everybody at camp. It's, like, hundreds of kids are, like, down watching and whatever. And they give away one free camp every year uh, or, or the chance to. And you have to shoot a half-court shot, a three-point shot, a free throw, and a layup all in 30 seconds. You have to make them all. Wow. And uh, so it goes layup. Then whatever, so it gets longer as it goes or whatever. So you have like 30 seconds, and they call one kid up to try for it. And if you make them all, you get to go to camp next year for free. And it's like 600 bucks or something. <laughs> so it's like, 
huge for a kid with zero money or a job, right? Yeah. And so I made, I, I, first of all, I got, I was like, for some weird reason, I was like, it's, oh, it's not going to be me. It better not be me. I don't <laughs> want to do this, whatever. Just like I had a weird feeling, I guess. Then they called me and it was me out of like a couple hundred kids. And then I did it. I made all the shots and like got a free camp the next year. That's unbelievable. And it was, it was all these kids that I had like met through the course of a week, but we've been spending 24 hours a day together because we like sleep in the same bunks and go to breakfast and then go to play basketball all day and then go to lunch and then go play basketball and then go to dinner and then like hang out in campfire at night. So it's like all these best friends all of a sudden who like know what a huge opportunity it is to like be the one person to do this in front of everybody. <laughs> And they all went bananas. Like when I hit the half court shot, literally people ran onto the court like it was like the end of the finals or something. It was awesome. Uh, and then I didn't go. To, I didn't go the next so year. So cinematic. <laughs> Even though I won the free camp, I didn't go the following year because I felt like I was too old. <laughs> uh, but it was still pretty amazing. Were you able to redeem it for six hundred dollars? <laughs> Could I just have the cash for making a few basketball shots? I wish. Oh, that would have been the best. Um, and what kind of comedy did you like? Around then, uh, I was like big into character stuff, which I don't really care about now. Like, does that mean Mad TV? Yes, <laughs> it means Mad TV. It means Nutty Professor. It means Austin Powers. Uh, in Living Color was huge. Like Fire Marshal Bill was the funniest thing in the world to me. And I used to like sit around the table at any family gathering and just like do the clumps, like. I would sit down and just like be Eddie Murphy playing all of the clumps and I knew it, the, every word of the scene and I could just do it. Or I would like be all the characters from Austin Powers when they're sitting around that round table or whatever. And your family would prompt you to do this? They loved it. They okay. were obsessed with it. Or that's what they said. You no, know? I'm sure uh, they were. But that I sounds would, hilarious. Yeah, I was like, because I think to me it felt like, oh, this is what I should be doing. But to them it was like, who is this little 10-year-old? Like <laughs> a 10-year-old who's like confidently telling jokes is is like weird, I think. Yes. You know, like. And kind of hilarious. Yeah, it's really, yeah, even just the gumption of a kid that, to think I would want to listen is like funny to me. Yeah. You know? Like, so I guess I was, I think I was probably pretty annoying at times for sure. Like, the parents all loved it, but my sister wasn't as huge of a fan. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're like, oh, look at our little guy. And my sister's like, yeah, everyone's looking at him. <laughs> like, it's annoying or whatever. What was she like? She was an athlete. She was a great athlete. She was like, I looked up to her forever growing up because she was like an all-state basketball player and like went to college to play basketball and this whole thing. And um, yeah, she was great. She was like a tomboy and beat me up all the time, and, like toughened me up and, and whatever. Uh, I She probably beat me up too much when I was a kid. It was like embarrassing because, oh, I'm getting beat up by my sister, you know? Like, but you really were. Like, yeah, yeah, like, and not like punched in the face. Like she wasn't like <laughs> she wasn't mean, but she could just like manhandle me. Like if she wanted to like hold me down on the ground for twenty minutes, like she just could because I couldn't do anything about it. Like she was tough and not really mean, but you know we both were shitty to each other. Like yeah, any, that's what an older sibling. Yeah, does. that's how it goes. I think we were pretty pretty normal, and uh, and we hated each other for a long time growing up. Or I don't know if she felt the same way, but I was like. Oh, living with her is my worst nightmare. Because you know, of how much uh, you got thrown yeah, around? Yeah, it just felt incessant. Like, <laughs> she had a bunch of friends because she was, like, she was, like, the coolest woman at our high school. Like, she's three <laughs> years older than me. And so, like, then I get to that, our high school and you're like, oh, you're Kate's little brother. You're Kate's little brother. So, like, forever growing up, my older sister was this better, stronger version of me. And, like, I think that's part of why I did comedy is, like, 
oh, she can't do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she can go out and, like, score 50 points in a basketball game and, like, get in the paper for it and, like, whatever. But, like, she can't sit around the table and make people laugh. So I was like, cool, this is my, like, I think that was for sure part of it. That's really cool. Um, um, and you were, when you were loving comedy, were you also thinking about it as a viable career that you could, like, no, really do? not really. I just, like, it was all I, it was all I did. Like, Ace Ventura also was, like, I was huge... I just would run around and, like, just basically repeat lines from stuff. Like, I wasn't really making up my own comedy. I was never, like, into theater or whatever. Yeah. I just thought that, like, I really loved funny stuff, you know? <laughs> like, it wasn't necessarily about me creating and performing. It was just, like, I loved to laugh and, like, I loved uh, that kind of stuff, which is still kind of the same, I would say. So when do you think was the first time that you said, this is something I might go for, for real? Uh, college, I was like, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but coming out of high school, I was like, I want to go back to Southern California. I want to go like surf at the beach. Like that's what I thought <laughs> I wanted my life to be. So I went to Long Beach State. And be a professional surfer. Uh, yeah, I'd be and- a professional <laughs> surfer. Yeah, this kind of chubby fat guy. I'm losing the weight. Maybe I'm slimming down for the beach. You know, I don't know. Uh, so I went to Long Beach State and then was going to like major in business and just sort of got there and through some happenstances or whatever was just like I don't want to do this like what am I going to do that for I took calculus my first semester but in high school I didn't take math my senior year because I I didn't have to like I I think I started math like a year ahead in in high school so I didn't have to take anything my last year it's like oh great I finished pre-cal I don't want to do calculus that's just hard I don't need it I can get into school without it so then I tried to take calculus my first semester after taking a year off of math and just forgetting everything in the world. And I also got this teacher who had hearing aids in both ears, like the big kind that like stick out real big. And he would like, people would ask him questions and try to like, you know, I can't even give you a math reference of what it was about. But, and he would like answer the wrong thing. He would answer what he think he heard rather than what was asked. <laughs> and it's like, there's, we were literally, all of us in this class would like, look at each other and like none of us knew each other it was all of our first semester in college pretty much but we were all like he would start writing really fast in chalk and you could barely read it and talk really fast and then people would ask a question he'd answer something that seemed completely different and he would turn around right on the board and like literally 30 people would all go like what like, what are we what so i dropped that class immediately uh, yeah <laughs> which took me down to 11 units i was no longer a full-time student and i picked up bowling which i got to be in uh, and then was like, Wait, what, what would you have had to do to get an extra? I think it was eight o'clock in the morning on Fridays. And so I just didn't have great attendance. Yeah. I was like sleepy but or really or good whatever. at bowling when you were but there. Good when I was there. Yeah. Yeah. I really nailed all those quizzes. <laughs> uh, so then I, I just sort of was like, well, what am I doing? I don't, I'm never going to be able to pass this calculus class. I'm not going to get good at math again. How's that going to happen? I need that for business. It was like a prereq or whatever. What am I doing? What do I want to study? I love study? how much you, like, you might need that for like a business degree, but not really for business. Yeah, right. Probably. Yeah, not at all. Who's ever doing the quadratic <laughs> equation for like a real estate deal? <laughs> it's like it makes no sense. Um, but I get it. We should learn at college. We shouldn't just skim it. <laughs> I, whatever. But so then I just sort of was like, well, what do I want to do? Like, what do I? For the first time in my life, I get to like take classes that I want, like other than home ec and woodshop. You know what I mean? So I was like, well, I really like, like, film. Going back to, like, always, you know, that's always... All I did was watch TV and movies growing up. And and so I was like, oh, I'll take film. And then I decided, like, oh, I want to write. And then I kind of was like, oh, well, if I want to write, I want to write comedy. 
And then I just took a class at UCB, and that's how it all... That's what, That was the first time I was like, oh, this is a thing. You know what I mean? As a college student, you took that class? No, no. Sorry, that was after college. But yeah. I, I knew that like writing for movies was a thing. Like That was mm-hmm. what I thought I would do, is just write movies. And then college ended, and blah, 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 blah. And it was like, okay, if I'm going to write movies, I want to write comedies. And then I took a class. Um, how much faith do you think you had in yourself that like this could really happen? Um, were you pretty optimistic? Uh, in the beginning, yeah, I think so because like, film school is a weird thing because everybody sucks. Like everybody's bad at it. Like me too. Like I was horrible. Like I've looked at old stuff I've written and it's just like not any good, you know. But if you can be the top ten percent of a pile of crap, you feel pretty good about yourself. You know? Yeah. Like, you think it's at least you can keep going, and like, I just kind of keep realizing that that like. You kind of get to the top of, like, your pile of shitty stuff, but then you realize, like, oh, now I'm at the bottom of a new pile of shit. <laughs> and then you have to get better and, like, rise through that one. You know what I mean? Like, nobody really knows what they're doing. We're all just sort of a- agreeing. at the- That's why styles change and tastes change, right? Like, we're all just doing what feels right, but there's no right way to do it. Uh, so, yeah, I still am not positive it's going to work out. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm pretty confident, but who knows? Do you think of yourself currently as being where in the midst of a pile of crap? Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Like when it comes to improv, like I for a long time felt like, oh, I'm rising through the ranks. I'm like getting better and like my shows are getting more consistent. And But that was like indie improv, you know, and like at the beginning I was like nervous at mock, right? Like nervous at mock improv. And then by the end of two years of doing mock, I was like, oh, I can go out here and say whatever I want. Like, I just feel very confident here. Like, these are all my friends. We all perform together. And I felt like I was like, great, I do well here. And then I got on Herald Night, and now I feel like I'm at the bottom of that. Like, I feel like uh, I thought I knew how what doing a Herald was like and, like, the pressure of being on a team or whatever. Um, and it's mostly fun. It's not that much pressure, but it's like you're doing a different style of improv. It like takes more work and it's harder and it's like, there's just more goals to achieve and like you can't get away with as much stuff and like you don't get to just say whatever you want. Like <laughs> has to all be pointed, focused, purposeful work, you know? And like that is, those are new muscles. And so I'm sort of at the bottom of that skill set, and like I'm working my way up and trying to get better, but like, you know, once I get good on Herald Night, I'm gonna hopefully go to like some weekend team and be like, Oh, I'm not doing this kind of work yet. Like, got to get better at this. And, like, I think there's always a new, bigger yeah. challenge or whatever. Are you having as much fun as ever doing Belmonte <clears throat> near Heralds? Uh, yeah, I really love it. I really love performing on Monday nights. It's, like, such a blast, and the audiences are great, and it's, it's like, very creatively fulfilling. But there are also a lot of challenges that come with, like, being placed on a team versus creating a team and, like putting those eight personalities that generally don't work together already and, like, trying to make that a group is, like, hard and fulfilling because you're making all these new friendships. But it's also, like, it's just challenging your own viewpoint. Like, I've been working with Dan, John, and Drew for so long, and, like, we sort of have our thing. So it's easy for me to play with them because I know what they're doing, like, when they start to do it rather than at the end of the sentence, you know what I mean? Yeah. And same with me. They know, like, what I'm doing instantly. And with this new team, it's like, we're not all worse. We just haven't played together before. So, like, we don't have shorthand. We don't have that, like, 
we don't hang out five days a week like I used to with my sketch group. So it's like we don't have recurring jokes and types of jokes that we already know we like. And so it's like building a whole sort of that's the hard part is like building your comedic lexicon of like what you like to do together, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's been tough. But every show is like a new fun thing and, you know, pulling the cover off a new thing we like to do or whatever. So it's cool. Was Big Grande the first like big time sketch group you did? <laughs> Out in L.A.? Yeah, I tried to start another one uh, that went horribly. Well, when was that, and who was that? That was like, it was sort of born out of boot camp, and me and Ryan Meharry tried to start it, and the idea was, our idea was sort of that we would be like the head writers of it, and that everyone else would also be in it, which is a bad way to go about it, I think, because like, I don't know. Uh, to Just going, well, we'll be the kings. And- yeah, it's like, what a presumptuous... <laughs> I guess, I mean, I get it. It makes sense. When you, get to, when you start something, yeah, you get make, to lead it. Yeah, it makes and, sense. But we were just all in a place that we're like, nobody knows enough more than anyone else to do that, sort of, you know? I don't know. It felt weird. But it was fun. It was a lot. It was like me, Meharry, Mastriani, Mono, uh, Carl Stoic. Uh, yeah, there's a couple really fun people in it. It just never materialized. Uh, but we had, like, hundreds of ideas. <laughs> hundreds of ideas that were never any good. Uh, yeah, it was fun. But Big Grande is my home. And then how did... Was there, like, an origin story for Big Grande? Uh, yeah, Tall, Tall, Small, which is just John, Drew, and Dan. They, like, did a few improv shows together. And I think, like... I think it was, like, their third improv show. They did the UCB three-on-three tournament. And they had a really funny show. They had, like, two really funny shows in this tournament. And some manager approached them and was like, hey, you guys are really funny. I'd love to work with you guys or see what you guys are all about or whatever. This was like, we were very young. We were like, this was like four years ago, at least five years ago. And uh, they went in and met with this manager and I was friends with them at the time, but we didn't work together really yet, but we were all good buddies. And, uh, And they went into this manager and they were like, yeah, we think you guys are really funny. What do you guys have? And they were like, Oh, we just did that improv show. Like, they hadn't been, like, writing together and all that stuff yet. And so the manager was like, we'll put something together so that we can sell. Because, like, we can't just sell, meet these three funny guys. We have to sell a thing. So they started trying to come up with, like, writing web series ideas for themselves and, like, all that stuff. And which was, I think Drew was, like, really good. Because he did that with his sister when they moved out here to try to, like, you know, Drew's good at, like, yeah, and shaking and I remember the pilot that him yeah. and Caitlin put together. Yeah, it's great. Or uh, well, it's not great by now, but it was great then or whatever. But they really did something. Yeah, exactly. They accomplished something. It was awesome, and like I think it did help both of them a little bit. So anyway, Tall Tall Small started writing these things, and then I was hanging out with them, but not writing stuff. And they were they were going to shoot something, and I was like, well, if you guys are going to make something like. If you guys want me to, like, direct it, since I know your sensibilities better than anyone else because we hang out, I'm not, like, a director, but I'll be on set and, like, keep you guys, like, tell you when to push what, you know, blah, blah, blah. So then they were like, yeah, that'd be great. And then we, I started going to their meetings and we started rewriting and then that thing never ended up getting made. But we became like, oh, shit, the four of us want to, like, work together and blah, blah, blah. So I basically just invited myself into Big Grande, and it's been the best thing that I've ever done. Uh, and that's how it started, I guess. Yeah, but a really good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yourself in. yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that would be my advice. you got to go for what you want, even if it's a weird thing you got to <laughs> ask for. Like, um, And what do you think makes that group work really well? Um, I mean, I've seen... Uh, 
I, I think both of your you've had two shows at UCB now, yeah. And I feel like uh, the way I describe you guys is just that you have like a better sense of what's fun to an audience than most people. Oh, thanks. Um, but what do you think makes the four of you work really well together? I think like uh, firstly, like we're really good friends and we're very close, and not just close. Not only in a friendship way, but in, like, a creative way. Like, we're very okay being like, yeah, it's just not good enough. Or, like, I get that. How do we pitch on that idea? Like, we're really good at sort of – or not we're really good at, but something that I think makes us good is that, like, we're not precious about ideas. Like, we just want the best thing to go. And it doesn't matter who wrote it or whatever. Like, none of us have ever really written – like one of our sketches alone like we've all come in with drafts or whatever but it's it's very collaborative like all four of us have an equal voice in each thing that we do uh except for like anything technical then john pretty much takes over since he's got all the know-how and like he's so great at that stuff but like yeah all of our sketches are all four of us trying to do the funniest thing at all times and like that's were you saying like fun is definitely an important thing for us like we don't really care about being clever yeah, I, none of us really like clever. We care about like funny. So like, usually we won't start writing a sketch until we have an area that we like think is really funny, and then are like, okay, how do we best communicate that idea? So it's like, what idea makes us laugh? Okay, how do we clearly present that to the audience? So it's rather than like coming up with a premise, which I think is like less interesting to me. I don't think it's bad. I think it's just that's not how we generally work. Uh, we usually come up with like a bit or like a game or like a, what's funny about that? Like, it's usually just us joking around and like falling into something and then being like, oh, that's so funny. What is that? Like, what is that sketch? How do you make that a thing? And then that's usually where it stems from is like, you know, conveying that idea of, yeah, like that Honest Girlfriends one was just like us sitting around talking about like the difference between what people know about us and who we really are and like yeah. that that difference is so funny and everyone in the world has it and it's so relatable and like yeah no one ever talks about that stuff because it's socially sort of unacceptable or like if everybody knows all your secrets then you know you don't get to choose how they perceive you you know what I mean right. like, but there's only I only sort of tell everyone the stuff I want them to know about me right so that sketch was like what if we didn't do that like but we can't just sit around. What if we played, like... Because it, it basically all started about, like, embarrassing stuff with women or whatever. Like, blah, blah, blah. And we were like, oh, what if we were our girlfriends saying embarrassing things about us? Like, because those are the things maybe you tell, like, a significant other, but you would tell no one else. I don't know. Uh, but it was totally. just like, yeah, let's capture that fun and whatever. So they're just like... And then the that maybe guys. your girlfriends would go out and violate you by <laughs> yeah, telling them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we all date monsters <laughs> and they, you know, just tell all of our deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. That was the weirdest sketch too because we weren't sure that it was going to work. Like, it kills every time because it is, it does have that like honesty or whatever and it, it sort of breaks that fourth wall. But we were unsure if it was just going to be like, people going to like us just sitting around and talking. There's no real like game or repetitive whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's, a, it's fun. It's so much fun. And you're watching something real when you're watching yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of it. I, 
like I feel like a lot in like Hamilton 100 meetings, I'll say like, can we let's can we do something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's part of what I like about um, we do a sketch where like uh, me and Robert are like Robert's a German hiding me as a Jew oh, in his sketch. closet, where- and like I have to. Uh, like, and we go into the closet when a Nazi comes and I get on his shoulders and <laughs> yeah. go under a blanket and like, or like he goes on my shoulders. I, it's, and, my, it's one of my favorite sketches uh, in the world. And it's, it's, it's fun because there's something actually, there's a real struggle going on in stage. Absolutely. Not just us making up that yep. like we're afraid of something, yep. but I really have Robert on my shoulders yep. and there's a real danger. Exactly. Uh, I like that so much better. Right. And I don't. <laughs> right. And also I think the thing that's. That's really funny is like that part definitely that like I know you're struggling underneath and I can't see you but I can tell whatever. That reality of being in that room is so funny but I also think that sketch is so much funnier because it plays on a real funny idea like as much as I am laughing at that thing I'm also laughing at like oh man we've seen kid on top of kid's shoulders in a trench coat so many times the best way to do that is put it in Nazi Germany. Like, that's a silly, stupid yeah. game. Mm-hmm. What if we added these stakes to, like, what if what if that happened once? <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, in Nazi Germany, like, oh, we got nothing to do. Get on my shoulders and put a blanket on. Like, yeah, I, ho- I never want to think about Nazi Germany in a good way or whatever. Like, I don't approve of that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, yeah, that's a really funny idea. Like, let's see that thing play out. It's so much funnier than, like, just a sketch written about like trickly hiding from Nazis. Right. No, let's like do the funny physical thing. I love that. It's so cool. That's really um, great. Do you, what do you think is everybody in Big Grande's biggest strength individually? Uh, uh, I don't know. That's really hard. I think that like Drew. This is like in a, I feel like before some improv shows, like. Right. You sometimes get the prompt of like everybody like say what your your favorite thing about the other person. Yeah. It's hard because like I I like those and exercises. And I'm always stumped by that. I love those exercises because it's great to feel positive. You things. might just like those guys too much and think <laughs> too much of them to like Yeah. No, it's hard because like I don't wanna I don't wanna cry. Like I like those guys are like everything. Like Drew is the most he can turn anything into something great. Like as far as a performer, he's the funniest person I know that will just like Oh, he's, he's just so fun to watch. I'll watch him do anything. And so I always feel good if he's, like, the lead character of a sketch because, like, he's going to work it out. Like, if the script is weak, he'll fix it in performance. Or if the script is weak, like, he'll will work on it really hard. And having him there, like, performing it as we're writing, like, will change it to that because he's the best, not what's on the page. You know what I mean? So, like, he's really good at being sort of our litmus test for what's funny because like if the idea is any good he can sell it and be like oh there's something there and if he can't do it then we move on you know (laughs) what I mean totally but there are ideas that I'll try to pitch really hard and it's just like not quite hitting and then Drew will do something and it'll be like okay it's worth working on you know what I mean like so he's really great at that Dan is like just such he's so smart like Dan is like the comedic mind of 2014. Uh, <laughs> like, I think Dan is just, like, the funniest, smartest... This is his year? Yeah, man. It's been his year forever. Like, I don't... Uh, I think he should be... <laughs> I don't... Whatever. I just think Dan is so smart and so good and, like, always can find the best version of everything. And he's really good at being, like... He's the one who the most... And I, and I like, learn a lot from him in this way of being, like... 
Okay, so what's funny about this idea? Not what's the game. Because we can write a game easy. A game is not hard to come up with and complete. But just because we figured out the game in a clever way doesn't mean it's funny. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah, we've got the math right, but there's nothing to stand on. Like, he's really good at being like, if we're stumped, okay, what's funny about this? We're not following the right thing, blah, 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 blah. Kind of in that, like, Besser way where it's like, he's very different from Besser. But, like, having that, like, if we're not starting in a good place, why keep going? You know what I mean? And I think he's sort of our, like, anchor in that department of, like, we're always, make sure we're always following the right thing, you know? And he's just like, yeah, so smart at that. John just knows how to do everything. Like, he's a jack of all trades. He can shoot, direct, like, edit, uh, write, act. Like, he's not, like, the best at every single one. <laughs> yeah. But he's really good at all of them. You know what I mean? Like... What is the word? Impresario? Yeah, it's like a jack-of-all-trades. Yeah. I don't know. Like, whatever it is, like, we've done so many things that have only been possible because John, like, fills in the cracks of all the other stuff we can't do. You know what I mean? Like, and it's it's that that's helped. Like, all of our coolest stuff is only possible because John is, like, our production coordinator, Photoshop, everything cool. Like, has lights and, like, he has got a really good visual mind and, like... It's awesome. Like, he really, like, brings our stuff to life, I feel like, you know? And then I don't know about me. I don't really... You'd have to ask them about that, but... Uh, yeah, I definitely will. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. I think, like, the thing that makes us good is is just having, like, a high standard of quality. Like, we've shot a bunch of videos that we're not going to put out just because, like, oh, we did it wrong. That's not what we... You know, and it's, like, a bummer that... We're not going to show some stuff or whatever, but it's just like, well, it's fine. What's a, what's going to showing it? What's going to, what is showing it going to like help or whatever? You know, it's like, cool. We learned a lot and we'll do it different next time or whatever. Uh, and like, yeah, we don't really do sketches or we try not to do sketches that we don't believe in or whatever. And like, yeah, well, that's a lot of integrity the, for a group to have. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, but we also are stupid and like, and we have a stupid sense of humor that we really love. So like yeah. we put out a lot of silly stuff too, but, um, I think like that's my favorite thing about our group is like, I never feel like I'm doing someone else's bad sketch, which is a great place to be because it gives us all a lot more confidence in our shows. I think, you know? Um, so how surprising was it to have like drew, like what was what was the first sign that like his life was about to change in a weird way? Uh, I think when he booked that movie, that like prank movie, mm -hmm. it was like, oh shit! Drew. Did that feel like a bigger thing than anybody else had gotten ever? Or yeah, it also felt like a bigger thing than it was. I think yeah, like yeah. it was a weird thing because it was the guy who like did Peep Show, that British show. Which, I love like, Peep we Show. We all really so love and everything, and we're like, whoa, you get to work with him, like, and he likes you. What a great thing, like. And he, and he was in that movie with Wit, and Whitmer's really funny, and, and it just felt like, oh, man, you got cast in a real movie that's not for kids. Like, UCB still kind of feels like the clubhouse, like, not the improv clubhouse, but, like, a clubhouse where all the kids hang out who are, like, waiting to get... It feels like college, right? Yeah. Like, and that felt like, Our oh, college. man, you graduated to being... working for money. <laughs> yeah. You know, in whatever. And it also was sort of the start of, like, he's had this manager forever who's been very helpful and whatever, but it was a lot of just, like, pitching him, and now it was like, oh, I have you this audition now, and it's like Drew was starting to, like, actually work on stuff. And yeah. Like, 
he's been working his ass off just like auditioning and getting ready and he's like goes to the gym now and he's like put on a bunch of muscle and he's like really working hard at like being a you know whatever and he's like also on Big Grande and he's got medium friends and he's got uh uh his mod team um, nephew nephew and you know a million improv teams in Winslow and he's just like so funny and he's been working so hard and it just kind of became clear like oh Drew's going to be like really very successful in the next few years yes uh um so I feel like so I think the interesting thing about it is I, I, I have a very clear memory of like sitting in like Betsy and Mono and Mary's apartment uh-huh. and like you and Drew and a bunch of other guys and maybe Steve and a bunch of other guys like sitting around and going like talking about Harold teams and basically yeah. saying like it's never gonna happen yeah we're, we're it's just never gonna happen we're yeah. not gonna like we're not gonna get it this year and then we're not gonna get it any year <laughs> right I remember that too <laughs> um which is funny from the standpoint of um like it happened for every single person who was in that room. Yeah. Um, right. And uh, I feel like that kind of that that feels like a microcosm to me uh-huh. of like what life is now a little bit yeah. uh, because Drew is one of like the first proofs of concept of like you might have a hunch of like I feel like in quiet moments like our friends might say to each other like I think like. A lot of these people are going to do really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. But like, none of us have yet, so <laughs> it's really just a stupid hunch, and we're probably idiots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, Drew's one of the first to like. He's you know with the how I met your dad thing. Like that's like right. a different level of right cool thing. Yeah, it's um, crazy. He's now auditioning and, for like movies with Robert De Niro in them, and like Nancy he's Nancy yeah. Myers, who is like. He jumped like ten stories. Like Nancy Myers is like for old people, like, right? <laughs> like you've had to have been in multiple movies, but now Drew met her and like she insulted him, sort of, and whatever. Did, uh, she well. didn't insult him. She was just like, oh, uh, well, it's a big screen. You don't have to be so big. And, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, right. Like, like she thought he was used to TV, and he's like, uh-huh. I've never even worked in TV. Like, yeah, I shot a pilot, but like I've never been on TV. Like I'm not. I don't have bad habits. Uh, anyway. Um, so how much do you day-to-day feel like uh, it's just a matter of time before that happens for you? And and like and Dan and John. Right. Uh, definitely not very much. <laughs> like I don't – I'm not worried about my career. I just like am a little impatient because I'm poor and it's hard – to be poor <laughs> but that's really the only thing that like bothers me like I'm pretty creatively satisfied and like would love to be doing things on a bigger scale but I I like the things I'm doing they're just not being seen by as many people and I'm not getting paid for them so it's like I don't feel like I, I need to you know like I always want to get funnier and get better and, and learn more about writing and right now I'm yeah I'm trying to work on learning more about story because like I've been doing sketch for so long which is the opposite of story. It's like, don't follow the plot. Don't have a plot. And now it's like, well, I need to do something over 30 minutes. You know, yeah. I need, you know whatever. I'm trying to work on longer form stuff. But I don't feel the same way because I'm not going to make it the way Drew is. Yeah. And like... Well, I think you're going to have you know. your different thing, but that's yeah. going to be right. like really big for you. I hope so. And I so I'm trying to work on writing because I think like that's my way in. Cause, and I would love to be in my own stuff later, but like... 
we get what Drew has, and we get what I have, and they're different. And, like, his skills uh, jump off the page because they're personal. But my skills are more about, like, the content that is created. You yeah. Know? So it's... Uh, they're just different. And he's all, I don't mean to take that away from him. He's also creating I mean, amazing stuff. Well, you're stuff just a unique person. I mean, I think that there's a lot of people where, like, you're their favorite improviser. <laughs> that's uh, very nice. Yeah, and nice. because you bring something else to the table yeah. uh, that they've maybe never seen before. Like, <laughs> a totally too. unique personality. Yeah. Drew just has that, like, sh- very shiny skill set. Yes. I don't know that one is better or whatever, but apples and oranges and, like... Apples look better, <laughs> or, or whatever that is. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy to be like, "Oh, I can take Drew, put him in this thing, and my thing is better." It's harder to see me as that because it's like, unless you've read a bunch of stuff I've written, you yeah. don't know that like that would make a thing better. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not as public of skills <laughs> that I have, maybe. Yeah, sometimes it's harder to... Uh-huh. Like, look at, like, Joe Saunders. Like, one of the smartest guys in the world. Like, comedically, his mind is a steel trap, whatever. Like, can make anything funny on the page. But just, like, is a quieter guy and whatever. And I don't think that people know how funny he is, you know? Like, he just now got a writing job that he should have gotten five years ago. Like What was that? Uh, I think he just started writing on some new show. I oh, remember. that's so cool. Yeah, it's I didn't great. Know. It's great. Uh, I haven't even talked to him about it. Just, you know, word goes around. Uh, but he's, like, so I'm funny. hearing about it now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, um, what do you feel like are your general anxieties, like, day-to-day? Mm-hmm. Or, like, what, what anxieties do you, like, struggle with the most right now? Uh, will I ever finish anything? Uh-huh. Is like really hard for me. I don't work well alone because I don't have the. It's not self confidence, but like when I'm bouncing stuff off off of someone, or like even just talking out loud or whatever, and hearing it rather than just thinking it, I just have more confidence. But like writing alone is hard for me. I'll finish a page and I'll be like, oh, "Is this, is this good? Is this how I want to write this scene? Is this whatever?" So I have a hard time finishing stuff alone sometimes. Uh, but I'm getting better at it, and I'm working harder on it, and I just—that's what I'm trying to. Work that's really cool. So that's that's, but that's my anxiety. It's like, you know, if I don't ever do it on my own, it's never going to happen. You know, I'm the only one. I'm in control of this thing. Nobody's gonna come and be like, "Will you please write a thing for me?" I've never read anything of yours, <laughs> so I need to at least give someone something to read of mine before they can want me, right? Yeah. So that's that's the anxiety I have is like I got to make some really good stuff and that's you know every artist I think worries about is my stuff any good so there's some of that and then just like day to day problems of living in an expensive city with no money like yeah. that's the other one uh, you been what have you been working recently as like a writer's PA kind of thing I did for a little while and like uh, that show Rectify for a few weeks but that was the last sort of gig I had and then and Save Me yeah and Save Me I worked on for six months and then Smallville I worked on so like those are the jobs I get occasionally where I'll have to work for a year or whatever but I'm trying to like take time to write my own stuff because every time I get one of those 60 hour a week jobs it's money and it's great and I whatever but if it's if it's six if it's eight to eight that means like when I'm done at work at eight, I don't want to go do an improv show. I don't want to whatever. Yeah. I want to go home and fall asleep on the couch. Like, and I don't. I'm not as productive in those times because you know, you're doing a lot. But 
And you just had a cool thing on playing house, right? Yeah. Like you were a stripper on that show? Yeah, it's really cool. I'm a stripper. <laughs> uh, no, it's, yeah, it's tomorrow night, actually. It airs tomorrow night. Uh, and I, I got lucky. Like, they are UCB people, you know, and they're really awesome about trying to get other UCB people in their show. And uh, uh, I started just as a background actor. Like, they were like, yeah, we just need some people, so get some UCB folks. So they had a bunch of regular background actors like SAG, whatever, and then they had me, Mary Sasson, uh, and this other girl, Juanita, um, do it, and it was really fun and great, and we made a little bit of money, and we like sort of got on TV or whatever, and we did it twice, um, because they were like, oh, bring them back for this other scene. We've like established them as like people that live in the neighborhood, so like bring them in to be extras in this other episode. So that was like, oh, wow, what a nice, thoughtful, like, that is all coming from Leonard yeah, and Jess. Like, really cool. It's not their producers, because they don't care. Like, it's UCB people looking out for UCB people. Like, the you know, uh, all the actors that are in it. Like, Bobby Moynihan and Neil Casey was in that episode. And, like, you're, and you're, all Bobby whatever. Moynihan was, like, a stripper with you. Like, yeah, you yeah, got, yeah. It's, like, you, Bobby Moynihan, Ian Roberts, right. and... Yeah. Who's... Is there a fourth guy? Uh, Paul Welsh and Tony Gonzalez. Yeah, that's such a cool... Yeah, it was five... Literally five... It was all UCB people that yeah. played these, like... Meatball stripper cops. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's great. So that airs tomorrow, which will be fun. It's the only thing my family can talk about. Like, just to prep you guys, I I don't have a lot of lines, and I have big boobs, and I take my shirt off. Yeah, but do, don't you think that being in that kind of thing is the kind of thing that, like, if you heard that was going to happen five years ago, yeah. would have been the most exciting thing in the world? Yeah, Absolutely. It's the coolest thing that's ever ha- it's the biggest thing that's ever happened in my career. It's the most money I've made for something like creative. Like yeah. uh I weirdly got paid as like a excuse me, like a SAG dancer because they had to have me all week because we had to like have rehearsals <laughs> that's and crazy. practice and whatever. So I got paid for like a week of being like a SAG dancer, like made a few grand or whatever. Uh that I wouldn't have made otherwise. It would have just been like an extra or, or not worked at all, you know. Um yeah, it was it was the coolest. I never thought and I'm, like, going on to the studio a lot and, like, all that stuff. And it's like, oh, I'm here for the reason I want to be, you know? It's yeah. It's really cool. It's really fun. Um, and what is, like, next for Big Grande? How many more dates do you have for your show at UCB? Our current sketch show, I think, is done. Mike said he might use it to, like, fill in if someone drops out or mm-hmm. whatever, which would be fun. I think we'd like Because how many times did you get to do it? I think we did it four times or five which, times. Which is really which good. Which is good. Or th- maybe, like... Three plus the spank or something. Yeah. So like four total. I don't know. If you were in New York, it would have happened many more times. Yeah, right? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> New York run shows for like a year. Yeah. Like it's much different. Eight run, eight whatever. I don't know how that More works. than eight. Yeah. Really? That's crazy. I just know that like, I don't know, my friend Josh Sharp's like show Maneater. Yeah. I think had like 20 shows right, or something like right. that. Right, right. It's like a Broadway run. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like a Broadway, yeah. That's crazy. And were, and were people coming to all of them? Mm-hmm. It was like sold out every time. Because here, I don't think that happens. I feel no. like people lose interest after about three or four. Right? Like, uh, unless you're someone real... Yeah, I think so. Unless you're a celebrity, people don't really... Maybe there's coming. more endless people. I think so. I think there's... A, and maybe here, uh, there's like 200 people who are interested. Right. Yeah, I think... I don't know. <laughs> or I think there's definitely a difference there. I don't know what it is. Um, but yeah. so we're trying to like pitch a new. We're, we have some other things going. We like created this like YouTube wormhole show. Did we tell you about yeah, that one? Yeah, I love that. But and we're in the process of like trying to make that a, a real thing. And so uh, the YouTube wormhole show is is like uh, every sketch 
is like the next YouTube video of yeah. somebody who's like going down, who's like watching video to video. Yes, pretty much, pretty much. I don't want to say too much about it. No, okay. I, no, I don't no, care. You should. Uh, I think, but yeah, it's basically like a weird sketch show where like instead of you know how like Kroll show or Chappelle show did a lot of like TV parodies, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't parodies of shows, it was like that's sort of the world they live in. We that's ours is the internet. So like any where they make fun of any reality show, any VH1 thing, any whatever, anything that can make its way onto YouTube is sort of our playground. So it's like having fun with, which is cool because it all of that stuff does make it to YouTube. So we can also do that stuff. But there's also this like specific niche of the internet of like you know straight to camera like monologue videos and yeah denny's fights and you know <laughs> there's whatever. so much to work with yeah it's just it's limitless so it's 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 been a really fun thing to work on and then we're trying to do like a new a new more regular live show that's like maybe a sketch show maybe a variety show maybe but a thing mix. you would host at a theater mm-hmm. that would be awesome just to sort of be like our thing that we like our you know monthly or bi-monthly show that we could sort of have as a like I think the idea that thank you excuse me excuse me like uh, Hubel and Shear's crash test Mm -hmm. where it's very free form is really attractive but also we are a sketch group so doing more sketches and we don't just want to host a show because we want to create material for it and like material that we can maybe use elsewhere Uh, so we want to do something that we like and get to include other people in and make it like a really fun night like you were saying earlier like not just put on like a sterile comedy show but like a fun variety type thing with like audience participation and I don't know so that sounds on, so cool yeah so what a cool thing to, to like that. have access to be able to maybe make that happen I hope so yeah I hope I hope we're gonna be able to go see Mike soon and hopefully he'll like it and I don't know we'll see but it also means a lot of work it means we gotta start meeting more regularly and you know whatever. How, how tired do you get I get real like tired doing all- <laughs> <laughs> I get real tired especially at night like before bed I get so tired <laughs> Uh, no, I, I never get tired of doing big grande stuff because it's always, you know, it's the thing I'm always most proud of. Yeah. But, uh, but it is hard just like the more everybody gets, the harder it is to do group stuff. Cause like now yeah. Drew is like, you know, his schedule is, he's flexible cause he doesn't have like a day job or whatever per se, but he's always auditioning. He's always, he's got, again, all those other groups he's got, you know, it's just like. And he can't really shift stuff around getting, like, professional auditions or whatever. So, like, we all have, like, coachings and, like, a video we're shooting with Will Reese that'll be great. Yeah. But we can, like, fudge what time we get there or something. You know what I mean? Like, not show up late, but, like, oh, can I do afternoon instead of morning or whatever? Yes. And, like, he doesn't really have that flexibility. And, like, John's getting more paid editing work, so he's doing that. And, like, you know... Dan and I have nothing and we'll never be anybody, but, like, we play into it, too. <laughs> no, uh, um, so that's been, like, sort of the hard thing. It's just, like, we can't be as much of a group as we would like to be anymore in terms of, like, amount of time spent. Like, we used to meet, like, three times a week and mm-hmm. work on stuff, and it's because we needed more time to find good ideas, I think, too. Yeah. But, um, but there's, an ebon, there's an ebb and flow of all this stuff. For sure. And I feel like, yeah. That's the, but that is I feel like earlier you were asking about like anxieties and and I don't know that it's a it's an anxiety but that's one of the biggest frustrations of like this sort of lifestyle is like being pulled in so many different directions is like hard sometimes yeah because it's like it's hard at also for me I'm not really great at like 
just like getting back to my own work right away. Like I, I have that sort of whatever. So it's a lot of like limbo time of like, are we meeting today? Because I got to keep this thing open. Oh, we can't meet anymore. Well, now I have this open time. Yeah. I should fill it with something productive. I should go to the gym. I should do something. And it's like, yeah, I don't have like a daily schedule, which is hard. You know, like I'd like to have that. Yeah. But you're, like doing, you're doing. I'd like a job. Anybody who's giving out jobs, <laughs> like jobs that pay money, I'd love the one. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's like the hard part is like the logistical side of doing comedy is a nightmare. It's very hard. It's a nightmare. Even you've ever been on like an improv practice group. Those email chains are like 300 emails to meet one Thursday, you know? Yeah. And that could become just exhausting by itself. Yeah. It's work. It's like every time I do a practice group that takes two hours, it really costs me like six hours of my life Yeah. because of all the emailing and driving there. (laughs) Six hours. You know what I mean? Like it's. The time that's actually spent for those two hours is like closer to six because it's like, yes, I can do that time. Okay, no, we can't do that time. Fill out the doodle. Go do the doodle. You know, whatever. It's just like nobody's getting paid to do anything, so nobody can commit to anything. And it's really hard (laughs) to like move forward with that. Yeah. But. Um, I just think, though, that your general approach to things out here has been so good. Oh. And right. Um, Yeah. I feel like the, the whole point of this podcast to me is that I can't uh, I'm doing this interview under the like just with with my full belief that I don't see a five years from now that you're not like my most famous friend oh, or the, you're the best thank you yeah very I just much. think that's so true I feel like you couldn't be doing things better oh uh, Ben so I feel the same I've you know I love all your writing it, ideas I just want to see one of them on the screen soon it, um, well I'm very sick Oh no! No, are you going true. away? <laughs> yeah, I'm very sick. Oh, and I'm going break away. My heart if you died of you know whatever starvation. Yeah, yeah. especially of starvation. The, like I have so much. Of, I'm I'm dying of the the diet that Madeline has put me on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The forced diet from me. <laughs> oh, that's the funniest thing in the world. Someone putting someone else on a diet is like, oh, you can't do that. What a scary thing. Yeah, but in her defense, <laughs> I, she just loves thin guys. Yeah, sure. I get it. I get it. And, you know, you got to fit her ideal of beauty. I totally get she it. Want, my dream weight for myself is 150 pounds, <laughs> and her dream weight for me is 120 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the perfect amount. Like, you didn't overshoot it. Like, if it would have been like 98 pounds, it would have been like, haha, funny. But I could believe that. Yeah, like, she just wants you to be real thin, but like <laughs> fit, but like thin. Oh, God, what a nightmare that would be. <laughs> what a nightmare, trying to get thin. Um, is there a thing about yourself right now that you hope really doesn't change? Uh, doesn't change? Yeah. I don't know, like what? My hair? I love my hair. <laughs> I love my haircut right now. No, I don't. I need to get a haircut. Uh, I don't know. My childlike spirit, Ben. That's what it would be. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I wish you had said that. I do. I do hope that. I do hope that, like, when I'm an old guy, I still act silly. You know what I mean? I don't want to like die before I'm dead. Like, I want to have fun until I go. You know, that's cool. Yeah, was that's that cool. Was that maybe cool? That was really cool. Yeah, it might have been cool, right? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for talking to me. Oh, Ben, thanks for having uh, me. This is so great. I can't wait to hear the other ones. Um, I can't wait. I obviously love you, man. I love you too, dude. We're both truly on the cusp. Be-ne-nee, 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 be-ne-nee.
That's your outro music. I'm going to use that for everyone. Okay, great. <laughs> I hope so. That was Ryan Rosenberg. If you want to see Ryan perform live, you can catch him almost every Monday with his Herald team, Belmonte at the UCB Theater. His team, Big Grande, has shows all the time, so just check the UCB calendar for that or do a Google search for them. Special thanks to my producer, Cece Pierce, to Casey Triela for the music in this episode, and to our sound editor, Joe Burge. Thanks for listening to On the Cusp.